You are listening to On Human Rights. My name is Kerim van Opijnen and we are broadcasting from the Raoul Wallenberg Institute in Lund, Sweden. And today we are also joined digitally by Dennis Mungo in Nairobi, Kenya. Dennis is the executive director of Youth Alive Kenya, a youth-led non-governmental organization that advocates for and supports youth participation in development processes. In particular, Dennis works to break the cycle of exclusion of young people in decision-making processes so that their voices are amplified and they are empowered to take an active role in civic engagement. We will be discussing youth inclusion and human rights in Kenya. So thank you for listening and I hope you enjoy this podcast. Hi, Dennis. Thank you for joining us. Uh, You are the director of Youth Alive Kenya. So could you tell us a little bit about what you do there and what this organization is? Okay, thank you so much, Karim. I'm so happy to join you today for this podcast. So as you said, my name is Dennis Mungo, working with Youth Alive Kenya. Youth Alive Kenya is a youth-serving, youth-led organization that's been there for, we just celebrated 20 years last uh, last year. So it's been there for 20 years. And the aim is to promote youth inclusion in uh, democratic democratic uh, processes. So for me, as uh, the director, I've been here for one year now. Uh, I steer Yak's vision of a society in which young people are empowered to take active responsibility for their lives. And um, in particular, what YAC does is to break the self-perpetuating cycle of exclusion of young people so that they may actively chat and address issues um, affecting their well-being and development by empowering and providing a platform for them to amplify their voices uh, in the development discourse as well as emerging issues that they face. That sounds really interesting. And what is one of the most recent projects or programs that you've done uh, with youth inclusion now? Okay, um, so we have run quite a number of projects. Um, a couple of them actually supported by Swedish organization, uh, the, the Swedish uh, National Youth Council, um, that is LSU. Um, mm-hmm. And here, what YAC does is that we work through um, a network of youth organizations. We call them working groups or member organizations. So these are member. These are youth groups spread across. Um, 12 counties in the 47 counties within Kenya. And what we do is that we bring, we bring youth um, together to form uh, youth organizations. And what YAC does is that we work and to support um, youth to be able to, through these organizations called member organizations, be able to take up uh, issues that are affecting their communities. So for instance, uh, issues concerning democratic inclusion, issue concerning uh, governance processes, concerning health and sexual, um, and that especially we have a focus on uh, sexual and reproductive health rights. So that's one of our biggest uh, programs that we run. And we are very proud about this as a youth alive because it's the way that for us, it's a way of us connecting with the grassroots and the youth themselves. And it's a way for us to directly impact the lives of uh, the, the, the young people that we work with. So other than that, we also have um, run a number of programs on, um, on what we call livelihoods. And for this, we are promoting youth access to decent work. I think one of the challenges that I think maybe I'll explain later is the issue about unemployment. This is a big problem in sub-Saharan Africa. It is a really huge problem in Kenya. Um, with over 70% of the population being young people. So we run a program where we help youth to, first of all, 
have uh, the marketable skills for the market, get them access to decent jobs, uh, ensure that there are the right policies that are being put in place by the national and the county governments, or what in other countries are called local governments, so that uh, we can promote youth uh, access to decent livelihoods. Because I think that is one area that we feel that um, it's a big issue that's affecting the young people, and it's the one thing that we are contributing towards reducing um, the issue um, of uh, unemployment, as well as promoting that discourse. And then I think finally, um, I must mention is that we have a, we do a big program on governance where we're promoting protection of human rights, accountability, transparency, and access to justice um, through uh, promoting youth inclusion in governance processes and uh, from, from, from the grassroots to the national level. So those are pretty much the thematic areas that we work around. So I wondered, you said in the beginning that you work together um, with some Swedish organizations, and I believe you also work with the Royal Wallaberg Institute. Yes. So what does that collaboration consist of? How do you work together? I started my engagement with other Blue Eye in 2011 in their capacity building, uh, human rights capacity building in the Kenyan Correctional Services. Um, so in my previous work, I was a human rights office coordinator. Basically, I was based at the prison's headquarters and I was coordinating all the human rights work. Um, so I had quite a lot of extensive interactions uh, with RWI and I think we did marvelous work um, in terms of building the capacity of the prison service to be able to meet uh, international human rights standards, uh, specifically the UN standard, standard minimum rules for, for treatment of prisoners, otherwise known as the Nelson Mandela rules, as well as uh, the Bangkok rules, um, that is for the treatment of women offenders, as well as the Havana rules for the treatment of juveniles. Yeah, so my engagement, I, I mean, I mean, it's been, it's, it's, there's quite a lot to say about my work with RWIS. We go really way back and um, I think one of the most important thing to mention is that um, without a shadow of a doubt, there's no other organization that is doing the kind of work that RWI is doing in terms of building the capacity of uh, staff towards meeting these international human rights standards. I think it's the approach that RWI took that is celebrated and awarded, I mean, even internationally. I remember we won an award uh, with international, the ICPA, that is the International uh, Corrections and Prisons Association, um, who awarded us for the work that we're doing towards uh, increasing compliance to the international uh, human rights standards within the prison service. I think the most important thing is the approach that uh, RWI took um, that has seen ownership of the process among the whole rank and file within the prison service as, and, um, yeah, as well as the whole correctional uh, service. Um, and they continue to do the same thing. Um, I know there's still a lot of capacity building efforts that are ongoing. RWI came to pretty much humanize um, human rights and the correctional, um, the treatment of prisoners, uh, the, the approaches that staff were taking uh, in a way that people could be able to relate to it and, uh, I mean, and, and adopt it easily. Yeah. Yeah, that's wonderful to hear like your experience from this program and such positive feedback. So how is it today that you work then with youth and inclusion specifically and teaching them more about human rights? Uh, so I said I worked in the service, I, I worked in the service like for 10 years. And for me, part of the 
concerns I always had was um, when you look at the prison population, majority of the inmates are are, are very young. They youth, they are young and youthful, um, and so working with human rights and looking at um, the factors that you know what, what is it that is leading uh, prisoners to people to offend people to commit crimes and what was it that uh, was precipitating people to come into prisons and you know having worked with, from within the walls for the almost 10 years i thought uh, this was an opportunity for me to also come and work uh, out of the walls so that we could be able to reduce the number of people who have to go into the into the prison system by influencing policy by influencing uh, changing behavior by empowering the youth and ensuring that their voices are heard ensuring that they're aware and that they can be able to take respons responsibility for their lives so i think once when i got this opportunity to work with youth alive kenya it's a really exciting organization to work with because they have a very rich history in um, in what they do. They have a solid background, uh, very deep networks with uh, with youth across the country. So it was pretty much um, taking what I know from within the walls to outside out of the walls, and how can we make sure that we don't send more young people into prison through the interventions yeah. that we're trying to do? Yeah. Yeah. So really focusing on prevention there and education. Exactly. Yeah. And what do you think is so important about youth feeling like they are part of the democratic process? Why is that something we should focus on? One 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 word that we always talk about is um, exclusion. Um, exclusion of young people in decision making spaces. Uh, and this exclusion is, I mean, it's a uh, it has it's quite pervasive within the societies, and not just in Kenya, but I think it's a global issue. So. Why it why is it important? I think it's because we have to empower the young people to take active responsibility for their lives, and by promoting inclusion, means that we are going to break the cycle of exclusion of young people and the youth, so that they may start to address the issues that are affecting their social economic well-being, and so that they can be able to take leadership in development processes um, within their communities and within their lives. So for me, it's by including the youth, uh, they can be able to be the drivers of change. Um, we have always told that youth are the leaders of tomorrow, but no, we are not leaders of tomorrow, we are leaders of today. So we have to take leadership uh, roles, even within our own little spheres, and even within our own lives, um, so that we can be able to influence the decisions that are being made. There's this famous saying that, uh, Nothing for us without us. So we have to be in that table to make these decisions because these decisions are going to affect our social economic well-being. Yeah, yeah, that's really well said. Um, how important it is really to include people. But then, now that we've established how important that is, how do you reach the youth? What have you found is the most effective way or place or tool to reach youth and to get them more excited about their inclusion? I think there are quite a number of ways that you can uh, uh, include the youth in, uh, in, in democratic spaces and uh, in governance in, in general. Um, so the first thing, you have to have deliberate efforts to promote active inclusion. So it's not just about talking about inclusion, but you also have to make deliberate efforts to bring the youth to the table. And this is right from the grassroots and, um, and within the communities that 
that the youth have found, but also to an important national discourse. So this will help to create a sense of ownership and inclusion. I think one of the challenges that we have, people always feel that, uh, and, um, for instance, uh, participating in elections, uh, they, they always either and then you wait for the up to the next cycle and you don't, uh, there's nothing to hold the leader to account. But if you empower the young people to be able to understand how can they be able to participate in these governance processes, they can be able to influence the decisions that are being made. They can be able to make sure that they can call uh, for accountability, for transparency, for rule of law. Um, so by doing this, the youth can be a strong voice for good governance accountability, as I've said. Another way that I think we've done is increasing access to economic empowerment opportunities. Um, so um, a lot of young people, especially in, uh, in developing countries, do not have gainful uh, economic employment. So how can we minimize the idle time that the local youth have uh, that makes them vulnerable to be misused by individuals with financial resources for ill motives such as uh, the political class, which at times uh, take advantage of the youth? Um, so this can be done through deliberate efforts, such as creating an enabling environment for entrepreneurship and businesses to thrive, uh, providing tax incentives uh, for companies that employ a certain percentage of uh, youth as an incentive to support youth employment. Uh, the tax incentives also facilitate the growth of small and medium enterprises, the growth of uh, SMEs. But how can we promote, actually promote um, the growth of SMEs and actually create incentives around that? Because so that people who um, are not able to uh, just gain, gain, gain employment, they can also be able to have innovative ideas that they can be able to, to do. One of the other things that we also, uh, I think around this is uh, building the capacity of the youth. Uh, so there should be a robust program. Um, so here we call them uh, youth polytechnics or uh, vocational uh, training centers. So I think this is an area that uh, governments need to invest more, uh, building the capacity and uh, equipping the young people with skills, marketable skills that they can be able to find, not just the white collar jobs, but also the, I mean, the market driven uh, demands. Uh, so especially in places like here, we have quite a huge demand for um, opportunities like plumbing, uh, electric, I mean, um, electrical, not just the soft skills. Um, I think another area that we have to also promote is increasing campaigns on peaceful coexistence in communities that em emphasizes on everyone's roles and responsibilities as, uh, as community members, especially the youth in promoting peace from the family unit to the community at large. I think this is also very important for in communities where ethnic and religious uh, backgrounds can be a highly divisive uh, factor. But I think the most importantly, the most important thing is advocacy and facilitating and building the capacity of the, of the youth in terms of knowledge to push for policies that promote their social economic empowerment, uh, rule of law, good governance, accountability and transparency at both the local and national levels. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, well, these are all such wonderful but complex topics. So I'm hearing you say need for advocacy to ensure policies that give youth opportunities for education and for, for employment. Uh, yeah. But then I'm also hearing how difficult that might be, given that there um, that there can be conflicts depending on religion or 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 background. Uh, is there any program concretely you work with to ensure that better understanding between each other uh, in Kenya that Youth Alive works with? One of the programs that uh, we 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 do that helps to promote 
social cohesion and uh, integration among the young communities. We have two programs that I wanted to say. One is uh, called Jipe Jopo, which is uh, basically get yourself a decent job. And this is a program that we, we run to help the young people, equip the young people with uh, the relevant skills that they can be able to get, and as well as providing them with linkages with uh, job opportunities. So what we do is having roundtable meetings with employers to understand what are their market needs, uh, as well as having roundtable meetings with uh, policymakers uh, from educational institutions, vocational institutions, to try bridge the gap between what the market needs as, as well as what is provided. There's always this missing link, I think, between when young people graduate from schools, uh, from uh, vocational institutions, to them finding access to jobs, to them finding access to credits uh, if they want to get into entrepreneurship. And one of the things that we do and is provide that link, uh, provide that, uh, bring all these stakeholders to the table mm -hmm. and actually make that follow up on behalf uh, with the young people and try and link them up. And that is just on access to uh, decent uh, work opportunities. But I think one of the other important programs that we've always been we've run, and I think this is usually comes at a time the, um, uh, when we go into towards, let's say, an election, an election process. Um, uh, this one, we, we had a program that, um, that we were running, but right now um, we're not, it's not active, but was on how to promote youth awareness and knowledge about uh, the democratic processes, as well as uh, reduce the likelihood of their being misused by the political class. So one of the things that we do, and I think um, this Murray is actually, actually with what we currently run on governance, because what we call for is for young people to be aware about um, their role uh, in governance processes and for them to be able to call uh, to account uh, their leaders and demand for services that are uh, youth friendly but and services that promote their social economic inclusion so by doing this and without and i think one of the things that we're coming to realize and i think many young people are coming to realize is that we have to look beyond our ethnic and religious backgrounds to actually going to issue based because a country like ours we're always divided along ethical uh, ethnic as uh, most ethical uh, ethnic lines um, by the political class and that is something that we try to empower the youth that we have to look beyond the selfish interest of the political class but um, to how can we go beyond that to not look at your fellow uh, countrymen based on their ethnic lines but but based on uh, who they are and you know so yeah it's something that i know it's a divisive i mean it's 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 a uh, it's an it's an area that is going to take time at, uh, but i feel that uh, we are gradually making the steps towards people actually looking at issues from an issue base not ethnicity basis yeah yeah, yeah, and that's such an important message to not look at your differences, but to try to work together to create solutions for problems that you have in common rather than the things that you not have in common. That's a great issue. Actually, that brings me to a question. What do you think 
is the most important thing we can all, the international youth movement uh, or the Swedish youth movement in particular, learn from what you have done either with your work at RWI previously or now at Youth Alive Kenya? Are there any messages or good practices that you would like to share? One of the things that I'm, I'm, I'm really proud about the Swedish youth movement and, uh, and um, working with, because uh, LSU has been a long-term partner for Youth Alive Kenya. And we've drawn a lot of lessons um, uh, from them. I think the most important thing is that youth need to mobilize and come together. Because for us, um, and I think this is what's, uh, this is the biggest lesson I think is that when you, when people come together, when the youth build alliances, even youth organization, when they build alliances and come under one strong unified voice, it's how we can be able to move the discourse about uh, youth inclusion, about the issues facing the social economic well-being of the young people. Because divided, we are vulnerable, but together we can be able to champion and push for being part of the table, being part of the decision-making spaces that are, are there. So I think the biggest lesson for us is that um, youth have to come uh, under alliances and not just alliances from the grassroots level or at the national level, but I think also at the global level, because both Kenya and Sweden are signatories to international treaties under the UN. And I believe there are so many issues that the Kenyan youth are facing that also the young people in, um, in Sweden are facing. So how can we be able to champion these issues, uh, not just in our national discourse, but also in the global arena? And I think coming together, building formidable alliances is the way to go. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. That's a great message. There are so many shared issues uh, amongst youth internationally that we could fight for together. Yeah. Um, and although that is really beautiful, I can also imagine that having worked in this sector for so many years as, as you have, uh, it sometimes can get a bit difficult to see issues that are so important not progress. Um, what keeps you motivated to continue to work towards greater understanding of human rights? What is something that gets you out of bed in the morning? What makes you excited to do this kind of work? So I remember um, when I was working at the prison service, Yes. what kept me um, motivated was whenever you could be able to change the perception or attitude of just one person. Like if you could go into a training and change the attitude of one person, I always felt like, you know, I've been able to change, to move mountains. Changing attitudes, changing behavior, it's not gonna, it's, it's, I mean, it's a long-term issue. What keeps us motivated is the fact that by doing what we do, you know you're taking the dream closer. If you can be able to change the attitude or you can be able to influence policy, if you can be able to influence the young people take action to, to call for accountability, then you know that you're moving, you're, you're getting there, you know, step by step. So in short, what keeps me motivated is the fact that this is not a pipe dream. It's not just something that we are fighting for that might never be accomplished, but I think it is possible to accomplish. But we have to continue to fight for uh, to be on the table. And I think it's something that every day you make progress, every day you can be able to see that we are moving in the right direction. So that keeps me 
motivated enough to ensure that, you know, by the time we pass this bottom to the next generation, when um, my youthful years are behind me, when I'm passing uh, this, uh, when I leave Youth Alive Kenya, because uh, as I said, we are a youth-led organization. So that means that when, I'm, when I reach 35 years, I have to pass the buck over to someone else. And I want by the time I'm leaving um, this organization, I have been able to make my stride known. I've been able to leave an impact. And I think that's the only way that we can be able to say that we are moving forward in this, in this discourse. Yeah, I think that was a that was a great answer to what is admittedly a hard question. And I hope that it's a, a small inspiration for our listeners as well to know that every step counts, even the small changes you make in your day-to-day life, they, they do matter and they build up. And then hopefully, as you say, Dennis, in the end, when we pass on this fight for more inclusive societies and, and better human rights understanding, we'll be at a better place than we're at now. Exactly. So I think that is a great way to conclude this podcast. I want to thank you so much, Dennis, for joining us. Thank you, Tokerim. Thank you yeah. for having me. And I also want to thank you for listening. This has been On Human Rights, a podcast by the Raoul Wallenberg Institute, today with Dennis Mungo, the Executive Director of Youth Alive Kenya. For more information about the Raoul Wallenberg Institute's work, please follow us on social media.